We thank you that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. We just thank you that it comes with power and the Holy Spirit, God, is behind it. And God, as we open up the book of Ephesians this morning, God, we just pray that you speak to us. Convict us, God, in areas that we need conviction. Comfort us, God, in areas that we need comfort. God, reveal to us in areas that we need revelation. God, we want more of you, God, as we walk through this life. And uh, we just ask for it, God, as we open up this book of Ephesians this morning. Love you in Christ's name. Amen. So we are in the uh, book of Ephesians, and we've been in the book of Ephesians, um, start of the year, and we're going to go through it through um, 2021. And then um, we are stretching it in probably to 2022. Uh, we probably will not get it done. And I know some people said, well, you know, that's a long time to do a book. And some people even respond like, oh, great, here we go. But as you guys have noticed, the words are so rich. And the words are, and we don't want to pass anything up with what Paul is communicating to the church at Ephesus and what God wants to communicate to us. So we're looking into it in depth. And when we go through books, we're not going to go through every single book in extreme amount of depth as we were doing Ephesians, but we're not going to pass this book up and we're going to give it the time uh, that, it, that it deserves. So if we look at the book, the book is split in half. When it's split in half, the first half of the book, chapters 1, 2, and 3, is about wealth centered around the gospel message that we have been chosen, we have been adopted, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, we have been redeemed, we have been given grace. The list goes on in what God has granted to us, a free gift of salvation, and our eternity is completely and entirely different if we have accepted that gift of salvation. So it's just wealth, 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 chapter one, two, and three. And then in chapter four, it changes to another word. It changes to the word walk. So chapters four, five, and six is walk, 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 walk. What the book is doing, it's saying since you have all this wealth, since you have all this wealth and salvation, therefore walk in this way. Therefore walk in this way. So we started a different series, and I just want to, you know, recap that series. Walk worthy of the calling, which is the first part of that series that we talked about. Walk by using your spiritual gifts. Walk differently from the Gentiles. Walk by taking off your old self and putting on your new self. That was part one, and then I also did it in part two because it was a longer passage. And then today we're going to talk about walk by loving as Christ loved you. Let's read the passage and then we'll unpack what Paul is communicating and what God wants us to hear. Ephesians 5, 1 through 6. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So as we're looking at this verse, it gives us three different challenges. One is how to walk, and the other two is how not to walk. So it gives us one how to walk, and then we'll work through the other two of how not to walk. How to walk, number one, walk by loving as Christ loved you, which is the title 
of the sermon. And it is connected with the how to not walks as we work, continue to work through. Many people have studied the concept of love, and uh, there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else like this concept of love. Because what happens is that I get behind the pulpit and we start teaching about the Word of God and we start telling you what to do and, and how to do things. And, and, uh, and then you can respond automatically. But what comes to the topic of love, it's a whole different ball game in regards to how to teach it. Because what happens is that when you look at the word love, you cannot be taught how to love unless you are loved. In fact, being loved is what teaches you how to love. Because love is in the depths of your heart. And when your heart is loved, love then comes out. That's how love works. In fact, they've done studies with little children and babies, you know, right from the womb. You know, what happens when they go from the womb? Where do they go? They go into the mom's arms. That is exactly where they need to be. That's the first step of training a person, a human being, how to love right into the arms of the mother. And little do we know that the baby just looks like that. All it does is cry and poop and pee. I mean, there's, there's just nothing to it. But what you're doing is you're loving that baby. You're nurturing that baby. You're holding that baby. That baby is being educated on how to love. On the contrary, if you're not holding the baby, if you're neglecting the baby, if you're not paying attention to the baby, if you're not nurturing the baby, that baby is not learning how to love. And they've seen the studies from zero to five on what happens to a child who is neglected compared to what happens to a child who is not neglected. And the studies are absolutely severe. I worked in an institution, and when I worked in an institution where criminals, you know, um, criminals were housed, is so many of them were just neglected as children. So many of them were hated. Most of them, the majority of them, did, had, had dysfunctional families. They do not know how to love because they have not been loved, and those that know how to love are ones that have been loved. In fact, love carries a power that when you are loved, you then have the power to love. And if you're not loved, the power to love is weak, is weak. Because when you love, your your heart nurtures and strengthens to love others like you have been loved. That's the power of love of love. That's the way people are educated in love. That's the way people are taught to love, is by being loved. Christians have something that nobody else has. Something that nobody else has. And do you know what they have? They have a God who loves them like this. Left heaven. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life, a life that we could not live. And then he went to the cross and says, I will die because you could not live this perfect life without sin. I will die on the cross. I will pay the price of your sins. And I'll put all of that on my shoulders and I'll take it to the grave. I'll rise again so you can live for eternity. It's a massive statement of love. And the Bible is shouting, you have been loved in this way. Therefore, love. And then so when we start thinking about that, it's like, you know, I, I don't feel like I... You know, my dad, father was absent. My, my mother was not present in, in, in my life. You know, the Bible is shouting, yeah, but there is a God. There is a God that has showered his love on you, and that love comes with power. The love comes with transformation. The love comes with strength. The love comes for the purpose to conform you, to make you, to create you, to love others, to love others. Since you've been loved in this way, you now can what? Love everybody you come in contact with. You can even love your enemies because you've been loved in this way. You were once an enemy of God. Now you have the power to be able to love. 
This is what Paul is saying in this passage. He starts out, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, describes who we are, and live a life of love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Christ has now empowered us to love people because we've been loved by him. So yes, parents do carry a massive power in our lives in regards to us having power to love our mates, having power to love our children, having power to love people, but God carries the ultimate power. And the ultimate power is found directly at the salvation message and at the cross, a display of how much you've been loved, therefore you can love. So when we're talking about this word love, I just put down three words of, of what I'm referring to to describe this word love. Love is centered in a foundation of commitment, of sacrifice, um, and forgiveness. This is, this is what love is in the Bible. This is what agape love is. So when we're looking at these, these words, we can commit to others because we have been committed to by God. Since we've been committed to by God, loved by God, we can make the commitment. A commitment that will last, a commitment that is strong, a commitment that is powerful, no matter what the situation, circumstance is, or how much we receive love back. Because we have that commitment by God. That's the power that has been granted to us. We can sacrifice for others because we have been sacrificed for. See how God is training us to love? I will sacrifice for you so you can see it. And when you see it, when you observe it, guess what you can do? You can sacrifice to the world. Without the world showing you any appreciation for the sacrifice, you can keep going. Why? Because you have been sacrificed for. You see how Christ is sending us with this message? Forgiveness. We have a power to forgive because we've been forgiven when we should have never been forgiven. People look and say, there's just no way I can forgive. There's no way that I can let this person off the hook. The Bible is shouting out at the top of its lungs. God's saying, I let you off the hook. I have completely and entirely forgiven you. And now look at it, absorb it, take it, embrace it, so you can have the power to forgive others because the way that we're trained, educated to love is to be loved. And God's saying, I have loved you in this way, therefore love others. Therefore, love. That's how we're supposed to walk. It's the challenge on what to do. But in the same topic, the same conversation, he gives us two challenges of what not to do. And his two challenges of what not to do is connected with what to do. Let's look at them. Number two, do not walk with any hint of sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. So he talks about love, which is commitment, sacrifice, and forgiveness. And then he goes right into, do not walk with any hint of sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. We live in a sexual world, sexual craved world. And what I mean by that is that advertisements are sexual, movies are sexual, news. I mean, all the, a lot of the news is talking about you know, sexual offenses and, and, and sex is just all, even all over the news. And, and then you have uh, the internet, which is you know, at everybody's fingertips in regards to pornography. And, and then we have sexual identities, which is consistently talked about. Uh, the world has taken this, this topic of sex and say, okay, this is wonderful. This is the topic. This is what we want to display. This is what we want to show you. This is what we want to sell. And you have the world that's just selling this, this, this thing of, of, of sexuality, which is huge. Every time we look, it seems like, it seems like there's something out there this, that the world is selling us, this message that the world is selling us. What does the Bible say about that? 
In fact, how does the Bible even approach this? So you have this world that's just selling sexuality. How does the Bible approach it? Is the Bible silent about it? Is the Bible quiet about it? In fact, let's just look at it. The world says that sex is wonderful. I mean, it, it wouldn't be portrayed in every movie practically if sex wasn't wonderful. They said sex is wonderful. Does the Bible say it's bad? The world says sex is good, but does the Bible say it's wrong? The world says sex is, let's talk about it. Because, I mean, they consistently talk about it. But what does the Bible say? The Bible say keep your mouth shut about it? seems like, you know, in the world, you know, the sex is just proclaimed everywhere, but, you know, is it proclaimed in the Bible? Is it proclaimed in, in the church? The world celebrates sex, but the Bible, does it pretend like nobody does it? <laughs> is that what the Bible does? What's the approach in regards to the Bible and the topic of sexuality? Uh, we can come with a, a, a large approach, but um, the approach to just studying the Bible and understanding the Bible, because the Bible is a sexual, I'll just say it's a sexual book. When, when you look at it, the, the approach and the study of the Bible, I would say that sex is not, I'd say sex is competing <laughs> with culture. Now you're saying, what? It's because culture is just offering this thing that says, oh, this is wonderful, this is great, this is good, you know, explore and all these things, and, and it's selling something. What's the Bible doing? I'd say the Bible is selling something as well. I say the Bible is saying sex is my creation. That's what God says. And even when you look at the, the entire Bible, I'm going to tell you, it is a, a graphic book. In fact, if, um, if you're a Jew and you read the Hebrew language, they wouldn't even let you read the book of Song of Solomon because it's so graphic. But that's why I'd say it's competing. I mean, just God is saying sex is mine. Sex has been given to you as a, as a gift. So there's just a couple things that I think the Bible is shouting out loud, and I would just first of all say that sex is God's baby. Sex is created by God for a purpose and for a reason, and it is a gift. You know, I had a couple weeks off, and in one of the weeks off, I, um, I built my wife uh, a garden bed, a raised beds, and this is been in the works for the last 20 years. In other words, I, I had the desire to build this raised bed for 20 years, and I had the spot to, raise, to do it, and, and finally I just broke down, and, and, and I did it. And um, as, as I built it, um, it's a lot more work than I thought. You know, I'm starting to look at, I think, I, 22 tons of, of dirt and rock, and, and anyway, I just got to show it off to you. So here's a, a couple pictures of my raised beds, and uh, so I started here, and I bought an archway, and she got plans for flowers to go over the archway, and I got those railroad ties that, that um, you can't be sold in the store, and the reason why is because you can't lift them with a person, um, <laughs> but uh, my back is still hurting, we'll put it that way, and here, here's the next picture, just showing off my raised garden beds, and they look nice, and then the last picture you notice that I, I like railroad ties. You know, I get them for free because I live by a railroad track, so I got a crowd. And then it works perfect, and everything's in line, and I got strings stretched and everything. is. Yeah, I know, it's, it's obsessive. But my wife and I had an argument last week. And do you know what her argument was? Honey, you just don't show enough appreciation. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, this is really carnal. It's like, honey, you know, you come home from work, and you just go in the house. 
you know, I'm getting you a garden bed. I mean, don't you come out and just go, oh, and ha, oh, and, and drool on how amazing this, 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 this bed is? I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. I was feeling sorry for myself, so sorry for myself. I'm showing you guys pictures. You can see exactly, you know, exactly how I feel. I'm sorry for myself. It's like, this is a good bed. And, and, uh, and you're not, do you see it, honey, and, and those things? Um, don't worry, we got over the argument. She came out and went, oh, it's really wonderful, Mike. And I'm like, oh, this is good. This is kind of the way sex is with God. I think God's saying, sex is my baby. The world has completely entirely hijacked it, but I created it for a purpose, for a reason, and it is good. And the, set, the world has hijacked it to sell that it is wrong, that it is filthy, and that it is not good. And God's like, what, what, what's the deal? And then the church and the response to the world could often go silent. So what can you talk about? We can't, we can't even talk about it. I think the first thing, sex is God's baby. The other thing about sex, according to the Bible, that the Bible just shouts on almost every single page is that the jewel, the golden jewel and the golden blessing and the golden strength and what sex is all about is it's all about this one word and it is the one word that separates from the world to God. And what is that word? It's exclusivity. Exclusivity, meaning one person. In fact, when the Bible talks about sex, it says, you know, save yourself. Save yourself for the day. That you walk in front of everybody and you have this ceremony that this is the person that we'll be connected with for the rest of my life. And then sex takes place after the honeymoon. It's celebrating marriages all the way through the Bible. And it's celebrating sex all the way through the Bible, all centered around this word exclusivity as you walk through life. And the reason why it's centered around this word exclusivity is because exclusivity carries the power, the jewel, and the making of the blessing. Not the opposite of what the world says. And when you start looking at the world, the world says, not exclusivity, it's everything. It's everybody. Yes, it's guys, girls, anything, anything you want. Sexual, this freedom in sex. And God said, no, no, I've given you something that will make you, something that will create you, something that will empower you, something that will take a relationship, husband and wife, and make it so rich and so strong as you are walking together like no other relationship that you have. A relationship that will change you, mold you, build you in connection with a person that carries a power to even raise a family, create more people, and even create and, and, um, and carry that strength. So it builds relationship, builds us, builds us, it builds us security, builds our strength. It also heals you know that sex was given to us even for the process of healing? What do you mean by healing? Um, here's the power of sexual um, healing that, that can even take place. If one thinks you're beautiful, if nobody on the planet thinks you're beautiful, but your married lover has the power to tell you you're beautiful to the point where the whole world doesn't make a difference. Your married lover has the power to, the whole world says you're not beautiful. Your married lover says you're beautiful in my eyes and can carry that and can walk in this relationship and make the whole world not even care about what the whole world thinks. If you've been hurt in the past, your lover, your married partner has the power to heal your heart. It's one that has the power to heal your heart. Now, many people don't go even that direction. 
They say, well, I've been uh, offended in the past because the, the people that have been offended, one out of four have been sexually molested in the past, and then they're walking into this marriage, and then all of a sudden all these struggles are taking place, and then there's a separation that takes place because of what's taken place in the past. Well, God's design is for you to take your husband and for you to take your wife and to connect with this and overcome this process in the process of counseling, in the process of working together, to put this past completely entirely behind you. It carries the power to heal only when it's under the process of exclusivity, where an exclusivity is your mind, your eyes, your heart. Everything doesn't look anywhere else. It just looks the one direction. If you have suffered neglect in the past, your married lover has the power to mend the suffering. If you don't feel good about yourself, your married lover has the power to sanctify and to affirm you. See, there's, there's power that even comes with the process of sex, and so we can use it as couples to nurture ourselves, to take care of ourselves, to heal ourselves, to build ourselves. It's a gift from God, and what's taking place is that God is saying, it's strong, it's good, do it this way and in this guidance. And how do you do it? Under the concept of exclusivity. Every single child that is growing up, as kids are growing up, and as kids are reaching adolescence, and kids are going through high school, and the kids are walking in high school, whenever they think of the word sex, you know what they should think of? Exclusivity. <laughs> it's created for this. It's created for Instead, what's taking place is the world is hijacked and sold something completely different and saying exclusivity is not the norm. It's not popular. And the Bible is shouting saying, I have something better. I have something better than the world has to offer. I have something that will make you rather than destroy you. And the world, our children, need to know it. And whenever they think of the word, they need to think of that word. So here Paul addresses it. When Paul addresses it, he addresses it with the words immorality, impurity, and greed. And what I've done is I've just taken the word immorality, and I've found the Greek word, and I said, what is the definition is? And that is our notes. Letter A, do not prostitute yourself to the lust of another. That's what Paul is explaining. That is the definition of immorality. The Greek word to immorality is pornea. This is where we get our world, word pornography, and it means to prostitute one's body to the lust of another. Sex is going to be one or two things. It's going to be a craving that satisfies an appetite, or it's going to be love. And the difference between the two things, a craving that separates, uh, satisfies an appetite or love, the thing that makes those two different is, is there a person involved? That's pretty crude, but that's what it is. See, sex is built for love. And if it's built in the context of exclusivity, there's a person involved, and you reap all the benefits it has to offer. But if it's built in the context of non-exclusivity, then there is a drive that is out there, and it's designed to destroy you. It's designed to kill you. It's designed to wipe you out. It's designed to annihilate your relationships, annihilate you, and annihilate your family. Here Paul says, do not prostitute yourself to the lust of another. What is the difference between lust and love? Lust, you want to feed an appetite. Love, you want a person. And that's what God gave it to us. Because he wants us to have a person, one, in our mind, in our eyes, in our thoughts. The next thing Paul challenges us with is letter B, do not be unclean in your actions or thoughts. And that is the definition of impurity. Do not be unclean in your actions or your thoughts. The world is fighting against the boundaries, and I would say the, um, the rules of, of sex. 
Oh, Christianity has, has all these you know, different guidelines and these rules um, in those things. Well, there's hygiene rules too, we'll put it that way. <laughs> in other words, my wife makes sure that my hygiene rules are put together before I come to church and stand up in front of everybody because everybody would look at me different than if I didn't do the hygiene rules that are, that, that are, that are in place. Why? Because I, I would look dirty. I, I would be out of place. I would not be um, in the norm. It would be going against the flow. When it comes to impurity, purity is, purity is strength. Purity is security. Purity is, is power. Purity is, is, is strong. It's good. It's healthy. So when you look at the word pure, it's like, I want to be pure because my children need people, uh, a dad who is pure. My wife needs somebody who is pure. The church needs people that are pure. I'm washed by the blood of the lamb, and Paul's now calling me to act like it and keep myself completely entirely from impurity. And then the next thing he moves into is do not live to gratify yourself, which is the definition of greed. When I look into um, raising my daughters, I was thinking, okay, well, what are, how am I going to teach them how to find the right guy? You know, what are, what are the words that I'm going to use to teach them how to find the right guy? And I try to just use, you know, one word, two words to just, you know, make those words stick. And, and one word that, um, that I've used is um, selfishness. That word is the reason why any divorce has ever taken place is in regards to selfishness. Every fight that happens is in regards to selfishness. By one, two, both, I mean, selfishness always comes into factor that I need, I need something. Give me more than I have. And that's created every single fight, every single divorce, every single brokenness, every single connection. So I say, just go shopping for guys. When they go, go shopping, I mean, shopping for guys, I guess that's how you explain it to your girls. But look at them to see if they're selfish. Because if somebody exists for yourself, you will then be a tool. But if somebody exists for you, you will be a person. You see the relationship and the strength of a relationship. Paul has given us a challenge. Do not have any greed whatsoever. If you want this love to work in a, a, a way that is healthy, a love that works in a way that is strong, a way that is good, get rid of the greed challenges us to do it. And then he moves on to the other thing of how not to walk. And here's a package of how not to walk in regards to the first one is immorality, impurity, and greed. And then he moves into a different package. And number three says, do not walk with filthiness, silly talk, or coarse jesting. Paul moves from do not walk to a hint of sexual immorality, impurity, or obscenity to foolish talk, coarse gesture, and, and obscenity. And, and when you look at these, why are these, why are these connected? And, um, and the, the reason why I believe that they um, are connected is because all the sexual content that the world tries to sell all over here, the sexual content the world tries to put into your eyes and, and put into your mind and, and put into your heart, everything that the world tries to hand you to the process to ruin you, um, the world wants to advertise in the way that it advertises it about how it has touched you is to put it on your lips. So what the world wants to do, Satan wants to do, because he's got a mission, is he wants to literally pick up everything that is nasty about sex, everything that, that, is, is the, um, that is the opposite of God's plan, and he wants to transfer it to lips for the purpose of advertisement, because lips do carry a power. And all of a sudden it moves to the lips, and all of a sudden we have the shop talk that is there. And what is the shop talk doing? The shop talk is saying, yeah, I've seen God's plan, and I've seen the world's plan, and the shop talk is, you know, the world's plan's all right. Carries power. 
Paul knows it carries power. God knows it carries power. That's why in Ephesians 5 he says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are not a place, but rather thanksgiving. And again, I want to take these words and I want to get the definition of these, definition of these words and give them to you to say what he's talking about. When you look at the word obscene, what does it mean? It says, stop the filthy, dishonoring talk. What is on a person's lips is on a person's reputation. What is on a person's lips is on a person's mind. What is on a person's lips is on a person's heart. What is on a person's lips is on a person's influence. What is on a person's list lips is on a person's respect or even the lack of it. The lips carry more power than we can possibly imagine. And Satan has a design to shatter relationships, rob us of love, and emotionally mess us up. So he has sold this package of what sex is not. And then he has challenged us, this is Satan speaking, to get it on our lips and talk in thus way so our children hear it. Talk in such a way so our co-workers hear it. Talk in such a way so anybody comes in contact, we hear it. Just for the purpose of fitting in, we could say, but what are we doing we're selling a package that is anti-God. We're selling a package that is anti-God, and even as we live in a, a world as our children are growing up, the word exclusivity, the word jewel, the word strength in regards to sex, the word healing in regards to sex is not even there anymore. Why? Because shop talk gets on our mouth, because the world has sold it, and it just gets passed away and passed by, and then we are saying it. So Paul's challenge is stop the filthy dishonoring talk. Then he goes into foolish talk. What does that mean? I looked up the definition. It says, stop the blockhead absurd. And they actually used blockhead. And uh, what does blockhead mean? Um, I, I guess blockhead means stupid. Something that you didn't even think about. Something that has no thought that, is, that has come out. Something that is just, just said that goes nowhere. We can say things that go somewhere when we're around our coworkers. We can say things that can go somewhere when we're around our wives and when we're around our kids. We can say things that go somewhere. Don't say things that go nowhere. That's what the talk about foolish talk is about, um, about it. Then the next one would be coarse jesting, and that's, that's the NASB. And uh, coarse jesting, what does it mean? It means stop the sick off-base joking. Sick is, is not right. Sick is off course, and then you have the off course joking that is there. Um, what takes place when you go off course? Um, one week I did my garden bed, and the next week I went on a, um, a seven-day motorcycle trip where we uh, got in a bus and we traveled to different trails across the state of Oregon, and then we'd ride the trails, and, and uh, the guys that are, I went with were extremely experienced, and I'm extremely not experienced, <laughs> and uh, they just said, yeah, just keep up, and if, if you don't keep up, you kind of get left in the dust, so I told my wife that if I go with them, I'll probably come back dead, and she go, gave them instructions before I left. She says, if Mike hurts himself, don't bring him back home until he's healed, <laughs> So, so, so what, what they said is, okay, who's going to take Mike first? You know, I'll take the first three weeks. You take the second first week. You know, the first three weeks we're going to have to do, you know, yeah, he'll be pretty drugged. So I'll take him the first three. You know, so there's some negotiation going on before we went on this motorcycle trip. But there was one time, only one time, where um, I got lost. And what I mean by got lost is that I just took a different trail. I mean, the trails are going everywhere, and you're just supposed to follow. And, and I took a different trail. Now, when I took a different trail, we were moving at a very fast pace. And when we're moving at a very fast pace, if you take the wrong trail, what's happening? 
the fast pace is going this direction, the fast pace is going this direction. There's a fast pace going two opposite directions. So you can go the wrong, if you're going fast, you can go um, a distance apart very, very quickly as you have two people that are going. It's the same way with chorus jest. It is saying it's off base. It's going the opposite direction of the golden jewel that God has given us. It's going the opposite direction of what sex is even talking about. It's going the opposite direction. In other words, it is selling something that it's not. It is giving to somebody's ears of what it's not. It's giving to somebody's hearts what it's not. It's completely and entirely off base. Paul says don't do it. Even if it's a joke that makes people laugh, no, it's a joke that educates. It's a joke that teaches. It's a joke that trains. It's a joke that even has impact. Number four, just in closing, thank God for his design plan of love for you. When you look at this topic and you look at this passage, you see it broken up in in two different halves. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Walk in love as Christ has loved you. He's given us the golden jewel of love, and he's given us this golden jewel of love so we will again have the power to love. Have the power to love. Satan has a plan too. Here is his plan. God shows what love is. Satan says, I want to show what love is too. And I know that there is a power out there. And that power is sex. That's what the power is. That I can show the world that there is a love out there. This is Satan speaking. That, the, uh, that there's a love out there that is not from God, that is anti-God. And I'll use the power of sex as a tool to pull people from God's design. And what is his design? Exclusivity? No way. Sleep with all, see all, view all, be with all, think of all. Yeah, it's all. Put it, sexuality out there, all. Take it. That's what Satan is selling us. Purity is fun. Greed fills your desires. Filthiness and silly talk is cool. That's the way you fit in. That's the way that you can be connected with people. Chorus jesting. It's funny. Have you ever heard about it? It's funny. This is Satan that is completely speaking to us, and God is saying, I have a plan, and sex is my creation that I've handed to people that carries a power, because love is good, love is rich, love is strong, love is healthy, and love is shouting from the top of his lungs from the Bible, shouting from the top of his lungs from the Bible that is good, and that's why I put boundaries around it. That's why I put boundaries around so every bit of my people can experience it. Every bit of my people can experience its power and its goodness. Just want to read this passage again. Ephesians 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk, of course jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man or person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Ooh, that last passage gets pretty aggressive. Very aggressive. For this you know for certainty that, nor, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
That's a threat to us. I just want to look at what he's saying. What does the word kingdom mean? What does the word kingdom mean? The kingdom, word kingdom is broken up into two words, and you can just see it. Just put a hyphen in there. It's broken up into king and then dumb. I mean, that's the two words that it's broken up into. King and dumb. King, you know what dumb is. What does dumb mean? Dumb means domain. You have to have a king, and then you have to have a domain. A king and then a domain. See, when we are talking in such a way that this is what God has done for me, I love because God loves me, and I don't speak in this regards because God is not even close to his plan. You are living under this domain, this king domain, that this is what I want the world to see. I'm under this king and under this domain that God has something good for sex, that God has something good for love, that God has something good for relationships. And this is the domain I'm going to proclaim to the world. Not this domain, this domain that I'm, complain, that I'm going to be proclaiming to the world. We don't have an inheritance inside the kingdom. I mean, we don't even have a piece of it if we're speaking this way. We don't even, and I'm talking about kingdom is already not yet. Because I believe that the kingdom is here. God is a king and this is the domain. Already not yet. When we go to work, when we go to our families and we speak such a way, don't speak in this way. Don't live in this way. Live in this way instead. You can see that this is serious with Paul. And if it's serious with Paul, it definitely is serious with God. Because I believe that completely describes what's on our heart and who we are. So I just challenge you to take these challenges. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for giving us a blessing of your love. God, we can love because you have loved us, and what a blessing that is. God, we can commit, God, because you've committed to us. We can sacrifice because you've sacrificed for us. We can forgive because you've forgiven us, God. We have been empowered to love because of what you have done. I just pray we will not get swept away by this world. God, Satan believes he has a power in regards to the topic of sex. And God, he does because so many people are being swept away. Our children are being swept away. Generation behind us is being swept away in regards to the topic of sex. I just pray, God, that your people, that the church would stand firm on the topic of exclusivity, keeping our minds pure, keeping our hearts pure, keeping our eyes pure, keeping our lives pure. God, we just know that your name would be shouted if we did as a body. And we just pray you empower us to do it. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.